When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Who's the pants? You, you or Chris? Hmm. Hmm, that's a good. I, I would be the pants. You know, <laughs> from my pants, Chris was born. Quite frankly. <laughs> oh my god. Um, <laughs> if it weren't for my pants and everything in them, Chris Cody would not be here right now. You're welcome. This is the Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody. Pardon it. Here's your host, Greg Cody. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. And I have to say, uh, I'm going to start by saying. What? Jack. Oh, God. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Jack. And um, I got to say, I'm a little bit pissed. I am a little bit pissed. Um, I want to start Jack? off by. My name's not Jack. What is that? <laughs> it could have been. We considered it. Uh, Jack Cody. I actually um, like the name Jackson for a boy. Do you really? Like, I think if if I if we had a boy, I would, even though me, Christy and I have had this discussion, and she f- doesn't like the name, so it would be yeah. a fight. But she picked Graceland, so I feel like I'd be entitled to. Yeah, the next the next one's your call for sure. I feel like Jackson is a little on the trendy side. Yeah, a little trendy. <laughs> but um, you're mad. Okay, I want I want to start off by thanking Jeremy Tache of the Miami Mike Up Podcast for having me on. Okay. I, I really enjoyed it. I hope it went well for him and all that stuff. But uh, one of the tweets that came out of that was um, somebody tweeting. Uh, they they at uh, they did at Valley Sports Florida at me at Lebetard Show and at Jeremy. And this was the tweet. Okay, are, are you going to say their Twitter handle? I feel like if you're doing this, like you should kind of give them credit. You know what? I I don't see a Twitter handle per se. The only thing I see is that they <laughs> refer. An old person thing to be looking at someone's tweet and not be able to see their hand. Yeah, I, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> hang on, hang on, just a second. Let me. All right, it's coming up now. Hang on. Or it's is loading. It? <laughs> okay. I don't, see. I don't know if this guy would want me to Dad, say his Twitter handle. Can, it's it, Dad. He tweeted it. It's public. Not, like you're not like revealing anything. He tweeted oh. it. Okay. It's it's uh <laughs> his his unofficial handle is funny. It's support your favorite hippo musical. <laughs> That's what his Which ad is. It's for. at support your favorite hippo musical. No, it, it his, oh. his Twitter handle is at George underscore Norath N O R R A T H. But <laughs> above that is support your favorite hippo musical, which made me laugh out loud. Okay. Anyway, here's what George says. So are we mad and at I'm this not, guy? Are we mad at George? No, George, I'm not mad at you personally, but but here it is. He <laughs> says every time Greg is on someone else's show, he sounds like a strong voice, professional broadcaster, always on point. When he goes on the Levitard show, he turns into Curly of the Three Stooges. And I don't think it's even a change of thinking or broadcasting style. So odd. Okay. Dan forwards that to me without comment. And I basically texted Dan back saying, it is always so surprising to me that anyone is surprised by that. Okay. Because plainly, and, and Levitard says this himself on the air when I'm on Kornheiser, 
If Kornheiser is asking me serious sports questions, I'm going to give him serious sports answers. Okay, Jeremy led me on on a fairly serious conversation, a little dolphins, a little heat, a lot about my own background. And, you know, I wasn't there to yuck it up. On the Levitard show, it's very plain to anybody that that I'm cast in a certain role that I play. And it, it gets frustrating to me when I sort of have to when I'm such a clown on that show that that everybody is completely shocked when I have a serious column or when I make an appearance and and I'm not in that persona. And, Dad, and I, so it's just frustrating. I me. think you're overreacting a little to like a like one little tweet. Like I'm not like I, I think most people realize that you have the range to do both. But I would argue that that's the more fun, funny stuff is what people remember. It's what they really enjoy more. Even when you're great. And I listened to what you did with Jeremy. It was great. I learned. I don't think I knew the Chris Everett story. You know what I mean? So like, like right. he, he got some stuff. I texted him. I was like, I didn't. I, I learned some things. Usually I, I, I figure I know most of the stuff you would say on right. a podcast. So, but I, I don't know. I just think I prefer that hijinks. I think it's a more, it's just a winning spot. I thought it was great. You, you did great. You sound awesome, especially when you were talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Yeti. I appreciate that. It tends to work like that. You know, it's music to our ears when people are talking favorably about us. Plus also like Jeremy's show is like, his interviews are great. Like with Sandy Alcantara, like he's done some really good interviews. He asked him about their like other, their personal lives. Like I could see him hosting like a 60, like Jeremy's good at having a good conversation that like learn, you really learn about the person you're talking to. Whereas right. our show's like an improv comedy show. Right. So like you're playing a character that is mainly used for comedy, like my character on the show that, you know, like, so it's a different format, you know what I mean? Like I go on Jason Leisure's podcast and I kind of sound the way you do with Jeremy because he's just kind of interviewing me right. as opposed to like our show where it's like, all right, let's go improv. Say yes. Yeah. So, Greg, you, you should actually what you should think support your hippo musical guy, whatever his name is, because he highlighted the fact one of the points you brought up a couple weeks ago on our show, but also you brought up on Jeremy's show that you change your pitches. You, you go at different speeds on the Levitard show with that audience. That audience is there for the fun, for the hijinks. And you provide that. And, and of course, their knowledge of you and how to how to push your buttons and stuff helps get that as well. When you're on Jeremy's show, really informative, some heartfelt stuff, some cool stuff that even your son didn't know. You go on Kornheiser, it's a, it's a totally different thing as well. It's still all quintessential Greg Cody, but they're going to get different things because you have versatility. Yeah, I I think it's uh, I'm I'm forever coming to terms with the the idea that on one hand uh, I feel like I'm selling a little of my soul to just be the 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 quote curly from the three stooges on the Levitard show, while at the same time fully acknowledging that my affiliation with the Levitard show has been a huge part of my late career, including the success of this podcast. So. I guess I can't have it both ways. And you do like everything that's like most of your comedy on the Levitard show is just you being you. That's fair. That's fair. It's not like you're writing yeah. jokes before you go in there. Everything you do, you shoot from the hip. Like if like you make a joke, a little one liner, like a right. little rappy cack, a little not listening like this to something in your headphone. Like it's all comes natural and you're just funny. So people laugh right. because you're in an environment of live podcasting that you're not necessarily you know now you're a grizzled vet with it but like you you were very raw at it so you right. make mistakes and it's funny so it's like yeah people love that's, okay. that's fair people love that from you okay 
you're able to keep up. Like you asked, like, I remember I've talked to Sarah Spain and like Amin El Hassan and like the people that would like come into our show and like host co-host and just you're all of a sudden you're in it. It's right. like, people are always like, holy shit. Like I'm just trying to jump in and not slow down the train. Like right. you're, you're good at it. Like without just being you, like you don't slow down the train, even though you do slow down the train sometimes, but that's when it's like right. the funniest. We've never blown Greg so much. <laughs> Yeah, that was a- <laughs> yeah. I know, right? Jesus, <laughs> thank you. I mean, I think we're just saying this is really just you, Dad, struggling. Like you just want to be, even though you're a com, you've always been a comedy columnist. Like your columns have always been right. funny. So I, I'm surprised you're so against like being like a comedy guy. Yeah, I, I, I just, I, I think I, I want a little bit more of a, a better balance on the Levitard show if I'm dreaming, and that's one of the reasons why I love doing this podcast is it allows me to be serious when I want to be. You know, it's because it, this it's, is all because Dan calls you an underwear columnist. Well, I mean, he should talk. <laughs> uh, you know, D- Dan used to be a legitimate columnist and volunteered that he's going to just yuck it up behind a mic and, and not do any work. The idea of Dan Levitard or anybody just leaning into a mic on a podcast wow. calling me an underwear columnist for wow. not working hard enough is patently absurd. And like Dan only goes to like the heat games. Like when they're in the finals. Like. Exactly. In a helicopter. You know what I just saw in Greg's voice and his demeanor? I saw the owner of the winning PFPI fantasy football team, Greg's Lobos. Yes. There you go. That was the bravado we expect to see from the, 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 the returning champion. It's no wonder that he's doing that because he's, I'm sure he's already talking to draft prospects and I'm sure the work has begun for the Lobos because we got season two coming up. It, it has. And if, Look, if you guys are watching uh, the other Hard Knocks, the one with uh, Dan, the man Campbell, and the Detroit Lions, and you think that's good, wait till you see season two of Hard Knocks Greg's Lobos because we're taking names, uh, or we're not taking names. Whatever that expression is, we're doing it. (laughs) No, you uh, want to be taking names. You want to take ass and kick some names, Greg. That's exactly what we're doing. We're kicking names down the block, and uh, we're we're draft strategizing. we got a, a committee formed, a draft committee. It's it's really good. The war room, by the way, has been completely remodeled. Our war room is now like the Taj Mahal, but that's for perhaps the, the opening episode. So, you know, we're acting like the champions we are. Stay tuned for season two of Hard Knocks. Can you give us one hint of like a, a strategy going into this year? Like, can you give us something? I don't want to tease it right now. I don't want to tease it right now. You haven't done any. All right. <laughs> that's okay. exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> You found me out. Speaking of laughter, um, a dad joke of the week, super quick. Why did the baby blueberry start to cry? Um, I don't know. His parents were in a jam. Now, that, that, that has to be the least made jam is blueberry jam. And I love a blueberry, but I've, I, I've rarely seen blueberry jam. Yeah. Oh, that's I, I love blueberry jam. So it was like grape or strawberry or raspberry. Apple and I mm. love all those jams. Uh, love jam much more than jelly. Jamming it. There's no comparison. Jelly is so jelly is so difficult to uh, knife onto a piece of toast compared to jam. It's not even close. Um, I mentioned last week that we wanted to have on the USPS Mail on It podcast host, and I immediately changed my mind after realizing that the guy who runs the USPS is like a far right zealot who's like under investigation for 
you know, all kind of things he shouldn't be doing. So, so like I don't Ale- wanna... it's like Alex Jones. Uh, well, he nobody's <laughs> like Alex Jones, but I don't want to give this guy uh, any publicity. Another thing, Christopher, when I was re uh, listening to the podcast last week, as I always do, um, twelve times. Yeah, well, at least twice. I I said something that I rarely say because it's a little bit of a cliche, and I wasn't even sure what it meant. Do you listen to it? Do you do you listen to it on two different apps so you can get, give the show two downloads? No, I don't know how to do that. I mean, wow. <laughs> I listen to it on Spotify. That's the only thing I know how to you do. You do Apple Podcasts too, and okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> I mean, anyway, that, that, you're someone you like, you know, touch your nipples to the extra downloads. So I just thought, maybe... wait, let me get this straight. If I listen to my podcast twice on Spotify, I only get credit for one download. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it follows the IP address. Oh, wow. I didn't know just that to keep people from abusing the system. Yeah. I had, I had no idea. I, in but, fact, let's do a little test and see, Hey, everybody right now, if you're listening to this and you're listening in one way and you have another, let's say you have Apple pie. If you have another form of podcast available on your app, give us if you go right now and hit play just for a second on that other app, let's see if we can double our downloads this week. No, keep if it playing see- in the background because it has to go for a certain amount of time for it to register as a download okay. number. Or just download or maybe- it. You don't even have to play it. Just download it. Just, you know, and let it, you know, do do something like that for us. Let's see if we can see a little spike wow. and cheat the system here. All right. That's all Greek to me. Um, <laughs> but on so last week's episode, <laughs> we were sense. referring to um, to you playing golf alone sometimes and me never having done that. Yeah. And I referred to us being cut from different cloth, which is weird because as father and son, it seems like we'd have been cut from the same cloth. But I wondered what that expression meant. And so I looked it up. We have the same hands. Do either of you guys know the expression cut from the same cloth, what that refers to? Um, I would imagine some sort of sewing reference because like when they like when they when they cut shirts out, it like it's all there's a big piece of cloth and like these two shirts were cut from the same cloth. Does it go even further back to does it uh, associate with with Scottish um, history and kilts and stuff as well? Chris's explanation is the most direct for sure. I would say you're both in the realm. Christopher's might have been a little closer. What, What I learned was the origin of the phrase comes from the fact that suit makers cut the trousers and jacket of a suit from the same cloth in order to have them match exactly. Oh, yeah. That's cut from the same cloth. So it's like a pants and it's like, wow, that's that that outfit that was cut from the same cloth. That's right. Um, Who's the pants? You, you or Chris? Hmm. Hmm, that's a good guy. I, I would be the pants, you know, <laughs> from my pants. Chris was born, quite frankly. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, <laughs> if it weren't for my pants and everything in them. Chris Cody would not be here right now. Usually it involves the removal of pants, but I guess it's not always necessary. <laughs> it really <laughs> isn't. I didn't like that. Well, I was going to say something really nasty there, but I, I self-edited. You already did. <laughs> uh, Where was Chris conceived? Oh, God. Please don't answer that. <laughs> I, you know, who, who, who really knows that exactly? We don't, it right? doesn't matter. Let's move on. I guess Greg was having so much sex, he'd never be able to pin it down. Okay, mm-hmm. I have an idea. You have an idea? Yeah. Where? I have an idea, but uh, Go that's, that's uh, Go you get away from my memoir for that one. Was it in like the um, back of a sedan? <laughs> exactly. Speaking of sedans, uh, <laughs> last week at this time, I mentioned that the number of people who had signed the Mount Gregmore petition at change.org uh, would not fit in two or three large sedans because at that time we had 19 signees, which was a great start. We'd only be at, been at it a couple of days. It was not that great of a start. The last time I looked, we were bearing down on 200 signatures. That's not good. 
to change <laughs> the name of Mount Gregmore or Mount Rushmore to Mount Gregmore. You're supposed to act like that's good. What are you doing? What is that like? One, that means one percent of the people that listen to this, or what's our math? That maybe that's more. That's I mean, what's one percent of one billion downloads a week? <laughs> I mean, I, that, I'm just like usually we've had more success in the past of like if we ask the audience to do something, we see like. Oh wow, a lot of people did that. And like that, okay. I mean, not to brag about our downloads, but that like, you know, that's yeah. Well a, it's a it's it's very few people are like actually like that means that means actually it, it proves my point on this entire thing of like this thing was tuned out for everybody. Most people were just like, Okay, this is Greg just wanting to say Mount Greg more. Okay. Well I'll uh ch- let me know when this is <laughs> <laughs> Un- unlike the two of you, uh, I want to personally thank all 184 of you. Uh, so I'm about to start reading 184 names and personally thanking all of you. I didn't know you're not. What's that? I uh, I-, I didn't sign it, by the way. Why? <laughs> I did. <laughs> thank you, Yeti. I just didn't even, like, I don't even think I clicked on it when you sent it to me. Christopher's worried. Christopher thinks if he signs it, the U.S. government is going to come after him. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> no. The government. Aren't you? What, what, are, isn't it like, why would I ever be punished for signing no they're gonna you worry that they're gonna raid your house like uh, they did trump at mar-a-lago <laughs> you know and they're gonna they're gonna seize all of your records to see why you signed this what they would perceive as an anti-government uh, petition probably but um uh, how about we read some different names like the yeah, like winners what? of our shop.gregcodyshow.com contest for the zoom chat yes Okay. I mean, have we notified them all personally? Yes. Yes. Okay. Then why do we need to read the names? Not because I thought because we, we said, said we, we would going to. <laughs> oh, okay. Z-Link. I didn't know that. At least now there's proof. The podcast audience now hears that. Yes, we have conversations. Greg says things, and then the next week he's like, "What? We're doing that?" Yes. And it's like, <laughs> yes, Dad. Thank you. I'm right, pretty sure. Do. I'm pretty sure. Last week you were mad that we weren't announcing them on the show. Last week it could be. <laughs> hey, that kind of thing. look. I have drugged my feet on this, so like you know, they, yeah, that, <laughs> drugging that, it. That's all on me. I don't. Is it? I have drugged my feet on this I or think dragged? It's dragged. Yeah, dragging Dad, it, Dad. I mean, let me ask you a question. <laughs> it's dragged. Yeah. Okay, sounds good. So I've dragged my feet on this. So yes. apologize to everyone who's been waiting with bated breath for the last several yeah. weeks. Um. So the winners are. Andrew Moore, Three Rock Three, John Makeley, Travis Meeks, Rye T. Pawn, Troy, Brock Ellis, Tyler McPherson, Weekend Observations Beep Count, Rich Seitz, Brian Melnick, Samo, Aaron, and from Instagram, Ho Aguilar1981, and Uncle Arctica. You are all winners and we'll be contact or and uh yeah. We'll be did having you pick a couple- the guy that did you pick my art my, my my boy John? Yeah. Oh, you said him in yeah, there. Yeah, okay. John Makeley. Yeah, John. All right, I want to give him yeah. a special shout out. He ordered yeah. his Greg Cody show with Greg Cody shirt from shop.thegregcodyshow.com on expedited delivery because he wanted to make sure he could wear it at bowling. And I can't nice. remember his score to see if it was a good night or not. I that's my guy. That's the guy I met in Austin. He was bringing the whole crew shots throughout the whole thing. Like he, he's famously been on Wheel of Fortune, which is a what? fun fact. Yes. That'll be fun to talk okay. to him about. That's like yeah. his starter. When he meets somebody, he says it within like five to ten minutes of meeting. Oh, you have to. Hi, I'm John. I mean, I've right? been on Wheel of Fortune. It, was, it wasn't that to. quick, but it, he got to it. Which, which nice I, funeral. I, Speaking I, of funeral's, I was on Wheel of Fortune once. <laughs> I gave him like a tip of the cap, actually. I was like, you know what? If I had that in my holster... That's kind of like I say Ray Romano is in my family. Like, it's kind of my thing. Like, I'll drop that. What's your (laughs) thing, Dad? Like, we all have, everyone has a thing that when you say hello, when you meet people, it's like, all right, got to work this in. Yeah, hear your pitch. Let's hear your pitch, Greg. What's yours? Yeah. 
Hey, um, hey, I'm Greg Cody. Uh, seen Dan Marino nude. There you go. <laughs> That's great. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's about as good as it gets. Mine is. Yeah. Mine is. I have a podcast. You, you ever hear <laughs> a guy named Greg Cody? Yes. <laughs> and if you say I have a podcast, <laughs> the reaction will be, doesn't everybody get in line? Do people like in your life that you tell you like work for a show, a guy named Greg Cody with uh, the Greg Cody show with Greg Cody and your name is Greg. Like, do your people that you tell us to think that there's just everyone names Greg on this staff? Because it's not exactly a common name. (laughs) By the time I get to the words Greg Cody, they've already tuned out and walked away. (laughs) Story of my life. I've really only met like three people since I started being on the show that have actually heard of Greg. Four. How does that make you feel, Dad? And, and, all, feel? and all of them used to live in Miami and would read his articles and stuff. There you go. Dad, the hundreds of so. people that Yeti is told he works for a podcast, four of them know who you are. All right. Well, let's <laughs> My aunts and uncles are always so confused. Yeah, they should it's, be. <laughs> right. Who's the most impressed in your family with like... My, with, my son. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. God bless yeah. him. Yeah. Hey, um, I want to uh, mention something about uh, Antonio Brown, who's the the, the, the receiver. And I don't was know. That real? I, was that real? That that <laughs> the that message, as opposed to game show host. I, I know, Dad. That's what I was wondering. Antonio like, who's Brown. the other Antonio Brown? I was wondering why you had to throw in the receiver there. I don't know that everybody knows who Antonio <laughs> Brown is, do they? I just don't know another one. You said that like he was a guy with like. There's two famous people, Antonio Brown. So I'm talking about the receiver. Yeah, you know, there's a million people out there named Tony Brown. <laughs> Regional de- manager of Brown Shipping and Handling, Antonio yeah. Brown. He could very well be. Um, <laughs> I don't know whether the, he's a Miami kid. I don't know whether he's retired or not. He's sort of like, I'm not sure if he's retired from the NFL or if the NFL has retired him. He's at that age. At any rate, future Hall of Famer, no doubt. He might not be a first ballot guy because there may be enough voters who find his personality abrasive or a couple of runs with the law, what have you. He's not a perfect individual, but man, what a delightful guy to talk to. And I want to read a quote from Antonio Brown. What are we talking Are you ready? This is fun. Yeah. My biggest, this is him. My biggest regret in my career doesn't involve my GM calling my GM a cracker or showing up to Raiders camp late in a hot air balloon with frozen feet or throwing rocks at that UPS driver. And it definitely doesn't involve taking my shirt off and doing a victory lap around the jet stadium mid game while throwing up deuces. My biggest regret is that I'll never get to see me, Antonio Brown, play a game live. Sure, I can watch the game afterward, but I can't imagine what that was like for you all to see something like that, like watching the Beatles or Jesus perform at Red Rocks. Now, I've been to Red Rocks, and that's a beautiful venue in Colorado, way up high. And I can just imagine the Beatles or Jesus performing at Red Rocks, and I think he's got something there. You know, Antonio Brown in his prime between 2013 and 2018, there was none better in the NFL. So a shout out to a uh, uh, an all-time great from Miami, uh, a fading superstar, wow. certainly, but a superstar nonetheless. I did not have you giving Antonio Brown this, like, you're basically doing the thank you Antonio Brown show, yeah. and he's had a lot of questionable, yeah, he like, has. weird, really terrible like, yeah, stuff. Like, off, what I'm feel, like is, off the field and he's just yep. been a bad teammate. So, like, very right. selfish, very me, me, me. And, and and that's why I mentioned he may not like, be. Like, uber talented, but, like, you've said some sentences here that just, like, he does not. You're like, thank you, Antonio Brown. Like, you're a, th- a, a, a South Florida kid that we can be. It's like, no, 
See, I'm thankful for his personality. I, I guess I didn't make that clear. I think he's a refreshing personality, even as he is abrasive to many. I okay. okay? I'm I'm sorry you don't agree. That is your hottest take I've ever heard. You should write that column, and it would get a lot of clicks. It's not that it, it, it's not that outlandish, Dad. You're you should do. I don't know. You may, you should just like maybe Google Antonio Brown and like I I just think you're <laughs> unaware of some things because like he is very suspect i am aware of just about everything about antonio brown if you would care to give me a laundry list of things that really turn you off about him feel free i'm i'm more interested in did he actually know the beatles actually played at red rocks or is he just throwing it out there that's a very good question so they played there 58 years ago almost to the date from the day i had no idea i thought he was making that up i didn't either i had to look it up yeah (laughs) did jesus ever play there is even better question i've seen numerous instagram stories of antonio brown having in trouble with like the mother of his kids where his kids are around and in the video and he is like putting stuff out there like on live and being like mean to the mom and like making i'm like feeling sad for this kid Right. And I mean, I'm going to say like people go through marital stuff and I'm not judge like, but that's outside of the sexual misconduct allegations too. And boom. Right. And the sexual, like, so, so right. it's like, yeah, like I'm just dad. I'm not like you were right. He's uber talented. It's a, it, that's a, that, that's a hilarious way to like, that's a hilarious caption, but you just like at the end there, you were like, thank you, Antonio. Brown. Like you started like, <laughs> like it was like LeBron, like you, the way you would treat LeBron if he was retiring and it's just like, okay. all right, dad, like slow down. It went a little mm-hmm. far. A little okay, fun. I meant to be complimenting the his personality and in particular that quote, which I enjoyed. But if it if it came off as me, um, you know, uh, saying it's everything he's done that's terrible is perfectly fine, then I certainly didn't mean that. I think people think of Antonio Brown's personality as like a selfish, not yeah. friendly. Oh, like, sure, yeah, the the locker room cancer, yeah, that guy, right? Right. So that's what I mean. You're like his personality, like yeah, right. he's brutally honest at times right like self-sabotaging yeah that that's that's true write that's the true. column I, dad it, write that column let me mention something else about somebody who is is worthy of of more universal praise and Thank that's you. that's serena williams as she there you announces. go this is like maybe you just replace everything you just said about antonio just slide serena's name in, <laughs> in fact in edit in, let's do that in post yeti dad yeah. just say serena williams okay serena williams all right put whatever you think he said about antonio <laughs> brown just put serena williams in there and like we're good the difference is serena williams in her long career has never had a quote as good as antonio brown's that i just read My, however that'd be funny right now is <laughs> do a do a whole spiel on serena williams having questionable stuff or off the oh, field God. and then we'll just we'll just flip flop the names and we'll put no. Antonio Brown and it'll be easy for Yeti. It'll be really easy at it. <laughs> Serena is uh, retiring after the U S open, which starts in a couple of weeks. And um, she's had a monumental career. She, for me, she's the goat. She's the Tom Brady of women's tennis. She's the Serena Williams of football. Could she just be the goat of sports in this era? You know, that's a, that's a good, I don't, I've never she's in that been, conversation. Yeah. And there, for yeah, sure. yes. When you talk about how they dismantled their entire sport and yeah. dominated that, for it's sure. like Tiger Woods, LeBron James, Serena Williams, Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, Chris. Yeah, those like, four. I mean, yeah, it's hard to uh, come up with uh, anybody who would be, be on that echelon. But um, on a personal note, um, Serena, I think of as a as a Miami athlete. She grew up in Palm Beach, a little bit north of here, but she always considered the the Miami Open which was on Key Biscayne for so long, to be her home tournament. I remember seeing her, and it's hard to believe it was 25 years ago, 
in her uh, bead braided hair when she was like 15 years old. Nobody knew her at that time, but she and Venus were playing the Miami Open for the first time. And then their parents were in the stands. Will and Smith. we, you know, you, you don't know what you're seeing then. You know, you're seeing Tom Brady uh, for the first time when he's 18, you know, throwing a football. And, and to think of what she became is, uh, is, is pretty astounding. And in, in announcing that she's done, she said that uh, she was sort of lamenting that if I were a man, because she's quitting uh, for family reasons primarily and to devote to her businesses. She's quite a businesswoman. Uh, she's invested in 63, I think, startup companies that already include 16 worth a billion dollars or more. Uh, she's going to be a million dollars or more, or right? A million dollars, a million dollars or more. A billion. Wow. Yeah. But she's 40 years old and she hasn't won a major in five and a half years now. It's been a long time. And so it's time for her. I hope she has no, my hope for Serena is that she has no regrets about quitting now because of what I just said and, and because of the career she's had. Uh, I, I think it's the right time for her. I, I hope she makes a, a, a great valiant run into the uh, semifinals or something. What if she won it? What if she went out? What if she like went out? Like what if she just won it? That'd be sick. Oh, it'd be great. That'd be like an all time, like, right? Like, cause, cause yeah. of how she's fallen off, like yeah. her doing that in her final tournament would be oh. like Tiger winning the masters. Yeah, no, it would be great. It would be one of those incomparable uh, moments and and I and I wish that for her. You know, I I believe uh, this in sports the ability of sports to produce those kind of can you believe it moments and that her, that's certainly would be a nice. Her one. retirement feels abrupt, like because like I wasn't expecting. It seems like she deserves like a full season of goodbyes. Like yeah, and she's giving herself barely uh, a month really right. of, of adulation. But um, I don't think it's any sort of surprise. I mean, for the reasons I said, she's 40. She hasn't won since very early in 2017. The Australian Open of that year was her last major win. So, And, and she's been uh, terribly injury prone. You know, most of the past year or two have been uh, rife with injuries. So. Howard Bryant brought up a point that um, that though he doesn't actually see this as a full-on retirement, the way she phrased it. I can't remember the oh, exact phrase. Oh, she could still play here and there? He, yeah, kind of like what Tiger does with golf. That's good. You know, if he, if he's feeling up to it, he'll he'll tr he'll join and see what he can do. And and so th that's what Howard was saying that you know he, he thinks she's still got the fire and and will do it as needed, but is just changing her relationship well, with the game. She, I think she used a phrase like, uh, an, "This is my evolution. I'm stepping." away yeah, or something like yeah. that uh, but on the other hand she and her husband want to have a second child and uh and she is stepping away primarily for family so you know by the time they have the second child she's 42 and it's just you know somebody of that yeah i mean somebody of that stature uh it, it's like i don't believe we had this conversation a few weeks ago i think on the pod i don't see tiger woods uh continuing to play if he knows he can't compete if he knows he's struggling to make a cut, I just don't see him putting himself out there. And and I can't believe Serena Williams at 43 or whatever is, is going to keep playing majors if she's not getting beyond the second round. I just don't see it. She phrased it similar to Brady. Do you think she's got a bid in to be uh, in the Dolphins' next ownership group? <laughs> yeah. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Dad, when we were talking about Serena, you mentioned how old you are with like how like 25 years ago you covered her. I know you didn't say you were old, but that's what I thought when you said it. Um, (laughs) And oh, God, where's this going? You're worrying me. Uh, your hair is like salt's been winning in recent years, correct? Now, yeah. Mike said something the other day um, after your one of your you were on, I believe, last Wednesday, and so Thursday the very no 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 actually I think it was my, it was Dan it was Dan that brought up I think he thought you looked extra gray Wednesday so he out of nowhere was just like Chris does your dad is your dad coloring his hair right now like or currently or done and and I was like I don't know. And Mike's like, oh, he used to. Mike like chimed in like a thousand percent. Mike is like the expert <laughs> on our show on like calling people out in celebrity when they've what, had he hair. He says training. I used to. Yeah, like no, like I, I, there was one point when he knew you where it was like I guess obvious to him, and it was one of those things where I think we've talked about it before, where you've done it with like a beard or something. Like in my mind, I wasn't yeah. positive whether it was just an open thing that you're. You know, are you mad that I'm bringing this up right now? Like, what's no, I don't. Like, what's your stance? Look, my life's an open So you book. did at care. one point do your hair and you're not currently? No, I'm definitely not currently. And if I did, it was maybe once or twice years and years ago. What I do remember doing, one of the reasons I, my beard, beginning with my sideburns and then my beard, and if I grow a mustache or whatever, that's totally gray. I mean, well, that's like, white. I mean, it looks like all your hair is totally gray now, if I were for being frank. Okay. When, see, I'm looking at a Zoom right now. I see brown hair brown maybe i'm crazy that's right <laughs> brown yeah <laughs> i do I'm, I'm i'm wearing brown colored glasses i guess as opposed to rose colored. <laughs> um i'm very self-conscious about hair color and here's why while bill cody was a prolific hair that's color, his dad for people that are not listening and, every time <laughs> and my dad the build, the builder of the wall who stood the that stood the test of time. My father would go from gray, iron gray hair to jet black yes. hair the next day. He used to wear <laughs> Grecian formula, I think it was his product. It was comical, but you couldn't say anything. You right. know, you couldn't say, Hey dad, what's different about you? You know, you just had to like eat it. Because it was the sixties and he'd slap you over the head if you did. Well, we never went there, but um, so short answer. No, I do not color my hair, but here's I, I, when you say I've done it once or twice. Like, I come on, dad. Like, so, so you used to do it. Like, stop. Like, OK, <laughs> that's what I mean. like, don't it? be the guy that's like, I've done it. But it's like, did you used okay, to do it? Did thing. you used to do it or not? Or was it really just once or twice? It was literally just once or twice. Oh, I don't know. I'll take the over. I'll take no, the no. over. Part of it is this. If you color your, I don't know how many people know this. Maybe some of the guys do. If you color your sideburns or your beard, it's pretty simple. You take a little brush, right? Whereas if you color your hair, you have to do a whole, you have to wear plastic gloves. You got to do a whole shampoo thing. God, I'd love to video this. We could put this out. It would get so many clicks. Okay. We should do it now. I'm going to, I'm going to make an admission here. When I saw that picture of myself on Instagram, burying Decker and Deckel in the backyard. Yeah. Uh, I looked really gray. Okay. 
in a way that I don't in the, in the last few months I feel like you've you've I feel like you've hit, Gray's been trying to win the battle in like yeah. the last like year or so. He's 60 he's almost 68. It should be winning the battle. Okay, I'm, it's okay. Okay. I'm going to break news here. Okay. I am going to dye my hair. My gray hair yes! is going to become a youthful brown. Are you going to wild Bill Cody it? Dad, you're doing brown? Don't you? Yeti, don't you think of my dad as a black hair? Maybe because it's it's black's too aggressive. <laughs> it would it would be very aggressive and it would play into your whole Johnny Cash wannabe thing. Maybe a little too much. Yeah, I'm not. I've never had black. I don't I don't think I've ever had black hair. Dad, you're going to wild right. Bill Cody it. All right. Yeah. All right. I want to get I, I have a question. The Jack White picture. Was your hair dyed? Not to my knowledge. Oh, now that you say that, that picture. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It looks totally dyed, Greg. How long ago was that? A long time ago. I think I was in my mid 40s, maybe late 40s. No, 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 no. Because I was like a teenager. So, yeah, maybe that's right. With the white stripes. Your hair is very brown, very suspiciously brown in that in in that in that picture. And my hair will be brown again. I'm going to show up unannounced on the Levitard show with brown hair. (laughs) And we've got to get this recorded for this show. We've got to, we've got to get, <laughs> All right, we'll do that. Got to get the process of you dyeing your hair. We've got to get, I am willing film. to take a video of me dyeing my hair. As long as the camera stays above my shoulders while I'm in the shower, because <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to, uh, I don't want that many of the people to see it. <laughs> All right. I want to mention uh, Yeti before the break, you mentioned uh, a reference to uh, Tom Brady, I think. And I wrote a column uh, this past week in the Miami Herald, basically saying aloud, how come Tom Brady never got in any trouble on the other end of the tampering charges that led to the Miami Dolphins being socked hard, including losing a first round draft pick and and the owner being suspended? For me, it takes two to tamper. And uh, there were reports that Brady, under contract with Tampa, uh, was willing to come for that uh, that infamous yacht uh, meeting with Ross and and Brian Flores. So I just find it odd that Tom Brady has never been an, implicated in any way with any wrongdoing on the receiving end of that tampering thing. And and I just thought that was I thought it was a worthy column, and I wanted to mention it here, partly in the context. Isn't it collectively bargained that it's it's on the owners, not the players? It's certainly on the owners primarily, for sure. But as far as far as like, but the the agreed upon rules of engagement where people can get punished isn't it just against the owners. I don't think the players ever get fined or punished for tampering. But is that right? If though? I remember, right. is that right though? Because if if he's under contract with his team and he agrees to a meeting with another team, I think that's punishable. I'm not saying it is under the CBA, but uh, I, I just question whether or not someone breaking into my house here. What's going on? <laughs> that actually that would get good podcast downloads if someone just barges what if you in got, what if you got like burglarized i know exactly what's just, happening jumping charlie is attacking a visitor <laughs> if someone just barges in and we've got it on video <laughs> like, give me your money old man <laughs> be great. someone pulling a gun on me in the background as you're I'm, like sassafras uh, trying to wrap up my uh my podcast here but anyway shouldn't we get to ping pong yeah yeah tee, let's tee that up and and let's do it really quickly because i'm so embarrassed i've never been more mortified why, like, way to ruin the entire surprise of this. <laughs> edit that out. Because you beat Chris so bad. You should be embarrassed, and we can talk about it on the back end. You're embarrassed for how bad you beat me. Okay, that's true. That could be that. Could be that. <laughs> sure, it could. That kind of thing, that kind of thing, that kind of thing. The Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody presents the Cody Family Olympics. Brought to you by the Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody. Father versus son. Oh, 
old versus young, not athletic versus someone who, just a few years ago, turned out to be more athletic than any listener had previously imagined. Five weeks, ten events, a house divided. Who will reign victorious? The Cody Family Olympics, brought to you by The Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody. The dog will go in the water. Well, he's done it? You see the the dog pool back there? He has walked in that. And we've given him a bath in that dog pool a couple of times. No, I think think he'll eventually, yeah, I think this is good. Watching her is good for him. Anyways. All right, folks. We are in the 10th of 11 events in the Greg Cody Show Father-Son Olympics. Today, ping pong. The event my dad has had most confidence in the entire time. Are you still feeling that way? I am. This feels like a signature event. This feels bigger to me than our other events. Um, you recall back in the day when Greg Cody was commissioner of the CTTA, the Cody Table Tennis Association. Oh, yes. We, we did once, me, you, mom, and Michael. Mom was terrible. Right. Did a thing where we played each of us 10 times, yes. and then we had standings and yeah, playoffs. And You know, it, it, I was in charge. You know we had stats and standings. Right. So in the same breath of PFPI being a ridiculous name for just us having a pick'em's pool, right. we played ping pong, and we called it CC, CTTA? The Cody Table Tennis Association. That's right. Okay. Yeah. You love an acronym. I do. Big time. <laughs> All right, so what are we doing here? Five games or three? You know, in the in the original Father-Son Olympics charter, it said best of five. So I'm willing to do best of five. First one to win three games. I mean, it'll just be three games, so either way. Okay, best, uh, games to 21, win by two. Right, five serves. We, we do it in increments, five yeah, serves. Right. Every, every time that there's a serve, someone can score a point. You don't have to have the serve to score. Correct. Yes. Right. It's been so long since I've played, i got to refresh myself. Win yep. by two. Yep. Game one in the books. I believe I won 21 to eight, up by 10 points most of the game. You can hear Greg a little little wheezy over here. How are you feeling? I feel defeated. I, I, had, I gave you half of your 21 points I think I gave you on bad serves. Um, I am just more rusty than I thought. I need some time to get my rhythm. Uh, hopefully, what I needed was a bad first game, and now I'm, I'm going to be better. All right. You want to like practice your serve a little bit before we do the second game? I'm, I'm good. I'm willing to give you, if you feel you weren't given enough time to warm up. We no, can. I'm good. Let's go. Okay. That kind of thing. Even though we are documenting all these scores and results in this audio medium right here, my dad is still walking into the kitchen and begrudgingly writing the score on a pad of paper every time. It is 2 nothing, Chris. Game two, I beat him 21-9, so one-point improvement for Greg. Looking at a three-game <laughs> three sweep right here. Um, are you feeling like you can get game three? Yes, I am. I, I know I only scored one more point than in game one, but I feel like I played much better. I feel like my serve was competitive. I feel like the moral of the story, though, is just unforced errors. Like, we're having some good points, but, like, there's also six or seven points per game that you're just kind of giving me. 100%. And, obviously, I know where I'm at. I need to win three in a row. Let's go! <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah, you didn't referee me to win. That'll do it, folks. A sweep. You can make the argument in the event my dad felt the most confident. It was the most lopsided. Did we have a more lopsided event than that one? I don't know that we did. For me to have lost in straight sets, I did get. <laughs> I did. I did get better each game, but uh, still, 
To lose in straight sets is pretty embarrassing. I mean, the way the results actually played out, we probably should have handicapped this a little bit. I know you were feeling like this was an even match, but... Well, I know I sound like a broken record because I feel like I've said this after half of the events I lost, but... <laughs> you expected better of yourself. I expected better of myself. More than that, if a week from now you and I play three games again... What will happen? Best of five again, I believe I will win. Dad, you barely got to double digits in one game. Okay, and, and I was getting better and better. That's debatable. My serve picked up... Beginning with the second game, I... Uh... First of all, your serve, borderline illegal. Why? Because I think you're supposed to hit it. Like, you're setting yourself up essentially to spike the ball on all your what are you serves. About? You're, like, bouncing it and then letting the ball bounce up and come down and, like, spiking it to me, essentially. I... Like, I think, I think you're supposed to, like, you throw the ball up, the ball hits the paddle, then the table, then goes okay, over. I didn't know that. You might, but, you might have mentioned that at some point. Nah, but it was not. If it like had it, you know, been a, a more effective serve, yeah. maybe I would have brought the rules into yeah, account. Okay, but it was uh, just there was a little pity going on. At any rate, you won fair and square. I lost, and uh, you know we are ten. <laughs> how's, how's your breathing? It's okay. We are ten events down. You are now ahead eight events to two for me, and we have one final event left: <laughs> swimming. Swimming, which can't go well for you. Well, let's see that kind of thing. Graceland, who do you think is going to swim in the pool faster, Pop or Daddy? Um, I would say Pop. What? Yeah. Woo! We oui, wow. Yeah, good answer. Okay. Kind of thing. Who who was better at ping pong? Um, Daddy. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give him that. Okay. Right. Swim in it. Daddy. Say that kind of thing. That kind of thing. Say that kind of thing. That kind of thing. <laughs> Gregory. You've been bragging this entire time about being a table tennis aficionado or ping pong aficionado, however you want to call it. And you didn't know how to properly serve. Oh, no. He's terrible. You wait till you see videos, Yeti. So you, I want to. I want to. So from what I understand, you would just throw the ball up and hit it over to Chris's side? He was like, he was like bouncing it up, letting right. the ball go high, and then like trying to spike it at me. I was under the impression that was legal. <laughs> you can't do that. Okay. Now, Greg, if you want a chance to challenge the rules and maybe have a rematch you know, under official rules, I was reading the rules to make sure before I called you out on this, so I, to make sure I wasn't an official asshole. You do have to hit the ball first with your paddle, and it has to land on your side first, then go over to Chris's. But I didn't know this. In the rules, you have to hold the ball in open palm, like Vanna White holding you know, a show the letters on wheel of fortune and and you have to throw it up at least six inches and then it hits hits your paddle and then your side oh that's ridiculous i think i do that but what you were doing no that's egregious yeah absolutely right. egregious so i lost i deserve no, to lose if you want to play again you have to you have to hold hold the ball on your palm it, <laughs> palm in it i ain't palming it god dad i love how you there's no part of you that's like okay i need to just reassess that at this point in my life I'm a lot worse at sports and stuff than I used to be. I know that like is really hard to hear. I hope that's not too harsh, but like you still have this confidence going into almost every event of like, yeah, I can kick a, a bunch of field goals. Yeah, I can hang with you in ping pong. And it's like, sorry. I mean, the thing that sucks for you is your son is just an above average at like everything <laughs> like this. Like all he the bragged. stuff we're doing is like my wheel. Like I, I might not be good at words. I was thinking about this the other day when I did something on the mystery crate. We were doing something where like I was like the butt of the joke. And it's like, yeah, you laugh at me, Mike Ryan. I've seen you swing a golf club. Like, yeah, okay, you're good. Maybe you are better at speaking than I am. Maybe you know, like I, I forgot. It was the Francis Ford Coppola thing. I like forgot the, because I was like the guy who made the Godfather. The Godfather. And like yeah, yeah, everybody yeah. jumped down my throat of like, you idiot. You don't know who, for, and like, it's like, I do actually know who he is, but I just didn't think of it. So I said the guy from the Godfather. 
And I was just, I just wanted to like look at everybody. Be like, yeah, Roy, I've seen you jump rope. Like, Witty, I've seen you throw a football. <laughs> like, Mike, I've seen you swing a golf club. Like, I'm better. Like, that, you guys are better at Notice this. Notice he hasn't brought up Smetty on any of these. Well, she wasn't really going. She's like, she doesn't jump on in those moments. She's like a right. decent person. So, like, they, like Roy, <laughs> like, if I say so, like, everyone likes to, like, you know. So, okay. I just, I, I remember, like, that was, like, on the toilet later that night. I was just, like, I was, like, I'm a sports guy. Okay. Like, yeah. Like, That's like I'm good at some stuff. I can kick a 42 yard field goal. Mike, can you? No, you can't. You know what you're not good at? What? Getting your daughter to think you're good, you're good at swimming. Yeah, that is true. That's fair. She's got her money on you, Greg. How does that make you feel? I know. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm it, probably a, a bad bet by her. I would put, going. I would put all of my, my savings on me. Wow. Okay. I can verify this and guarantee it. If the father son Olympics ever survives for a second iteration, somebody on Twitter suggested that we need to have more offbeat categories like singing yes. in the shower. I totally agree. I said that, Dad, this whole time. I was like, it should all be. I was like, it should all be the shopping cart thing. Okay. And you were like, what do you mean? We should play. Okay. This when I wanted to add Ms. Pac-Man, you, you, you vetoed it because you knew I'd kick your ass. No, okay. it's just not interesting for anybody, Miss Pac-Man. Next year, one of the categories will be Wordle. Okay, I'm going to kick oh, your ass in Wordle. <laughs> Are you trying to create the most lame? Like, I'll take that. Let me produce the show. Okay, I'll come up with the categories. Fine. As long as, there, as, long as I can God. win some. You just ca- you just were, like, trying to, like, come out of the gate with, like, your two interesting, and you came up with Miss Pac-Man and Wordle. Correct. The big two. <laughs> and singing in the shower. The big three. Singing in the shower is funny. I want to get to this interview with this gentleman here, Marshall John Fisher, who wrote the book 17 and 0, uh, a book on the 50th anniversary of the Dolphins' 1972 perfect season. And um, the timing, I think, is good because the Dolphins' 57th season uh, just opened with a preseason game uh, at Tampa Bay a couple of nights ago. Who won? Oh, uh, you know, I don't want to give it away for anybody who uh, hasn't <laughs> watched the game yet. Anyone has a DVR? <laughs> it was like, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get to this like Monday or Tuesday. Exactly. Plus, it's such a major result. I mean, it's a fake game. It's the first fake game of the season. Can you believe those run plays? Rays. Oh, yeah, I couldn't believe them. Like they, that, pit, that pitch to the left for like six yards? Yeah, that run up the middle for a yard and a half. It was about as good as a run up the middle for a yard and a half can get. Yeah. But... um. And like that second unit really just, they showed grit, I thought. They showed grit and um, desire is what yeah. they showed. Oh, it's 17 and 0. It's not the number zero. It's O. Yeah, I think I, I think I mentioned that during the interview with uh, Marshall John Fisher, the author. You don't remember because you recorded it like seven months ago? <laughs> <laughs> May have been a few weeks ago. But uh, I like that. It's a small touch that I like because it's not 17 and 0. It's 17 and oh, oh my, you know. We just saw Greg's O-Face. Yes. Dad, ask him about his O-Face in this interview. Okay, I will. Here it is. Hey, really happy to have on uh, Marshall John Fisher, the author, and his latest book is 17 and 0, Miami 1972 and the NFL's only perfect season. Uh, Marshall, I, I love that the O in 17 and 0 is O-H as, as in, yeah. oh my God, what did this team just do? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Very nice touch on the title. Thank you. Um, Hey, uh, before we get started, and by the way, this book is out as the team is about to celebrate the 50th anniversary of that historic season, which uh, the the timing of the book cannot be coincidental. That had to be 
in the Absolutely. Planet. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And also more coincidental, the book comes out when I, I think interest in the dolphins is, is absolutely spiking. So the timing is is absolutely perfect for this book. Um, Marshall, like you, I grew up in South Florida, the Fort Lauderdale area. I'm a little bit older than you, but basically we, we have a lot of the same stories, I think. You know, when Shula arrived, my dad and I were huge sports fans. And when Shula arrived, everything seemed to change. A light bulb went on. And yeah. one of my vivid childhood memories is... Um, that set 1971 longest game when in Kansas City when Garrow's field goal won the first playoff game in Dolphins history. And my dad and I were in the living room pogoing up and down while hugging each other. It, it was just such a special yeah. memory for me. And and right down to the present time when uh, Don Shula passed away a couple of years ago, I devoted a, an entire episode of, of my podcast and we had on Larry Little and Larry Zonka and a bunch of the other perfectos who were reminiscing with us. So the Dolphins have always been a huge part of my life uh, as yours. And, and so again, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Greg. It's really great to be on this. It's got to be a, such a challenge to tackle uh, something that's so historic and well-known that's been written about before. I wonder why you wanted to try and, and what was the fascination for you worth exploring anew after 50 years? Yeah, well, there have been, you know, as you know, there have been a couple other books 20 years ago and 10 years ago and, you know, anniversaries. Sure. Um, but I felt I felt I had a little something to add. Um, those books, although they're very, they're very well written, but um, I felt they lacked a lot of detail about the actual games, for yeah. one thing. And that, when I read them, that's what I wanted to know more about is, you know, what really happened in all these, in, in the games and, and also more details about the players, not just the big stars, but some of the other guys. Um, so I felt I wanted to have a more detailed description, really be the full account of this team and this season. And then two other things. One was that I wanted to weave into it, not just about the football season, but about what was going on in Miami and the country at that time. Both political conventions were held in Miami. It's the last time they were both in the same city, in Miami Beach, actually. But um, uh, Nixon was down here a lot and Key Biscayne at the Winter White House. Uh, Vietnam War was still raging. Watergate was just beginning to grow. That investigation was beginning to grow because that the break-in was that summer of 72. And uh, I wanted to weave all that into the, the story of the season and, and bring it all together. And then finally, I, I felt I had a little something to add as having been a kid and a real fan at that time and a little bit of personal memories to add in. So yeah. I thought that sort of might make this book a little different. Indeed. And uh, you're entirely right. I remember that that time very well. And Vietnam was happening and protests all over the country. I remember the love it or leave it bumper stickers. And it, it was just a crazy time to um, into which this perfection was happening in uh, in right. the far end of the the Southeast Peninsula down here. Yeah. Uh, and, and part and parcel of that was, um, you know, race relations were a thing then as they are uh, perpetually. And I remember, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think Shula was the first coach uh, in football to integrate his locker room. Yeah, um, of course, that kind of, that's the kind of thing that I was too young to be aware of at the time. That, that, and then I, I was surprised about when I went back and researched that really Miami at that time, especially right before that, like in the late 60s, beginning of the 70s, was really a fairly segregated place. Um, and and uh, black players who came down to Miami, a lot of them didn't want to come uh, because they, they had heard about what Miami was like in Florida in general. And, uh, you know, and they had trouble uh, buying homes in the South Florida. They certain areas that they were welcome to buy homes in. And, uh, and yes, the team, uh, you know, uh, Mercury Morris, uh, when he came down, when he was drafted in 69, and he, he tried to, during rookie camp, he tried to um, integrate the locker room a bit. But when the veterans came down, he was, he was a little too abashed to try. 
But uh, Mark Fleming, when he came in 1970, he walked into the uh, locker room and couldn't believe all the black guys were on one side and all the white guys were on the other. And he made a point kind of ridiculing that. But it was Shula who came the same year in 1970 who really made a point of uh, integrating. He, first of all, insisted the locker room, all the lockers be moved around so it was integrated. And he assigned roommates. Previously, the white guys were only rooming with white guys and, and black guys with black guys. And he assigned roommates, most of them mixed race, as much as he could. He wanted to create a team, you know, a real team that would play together and win together. And he, he felt you couldn't uh, when, when it was so segregated. As I think Mercury Morris pointed out, it wasn't that Shula was such a, a progressive, you know, I think he certainly was for equality and for civil rights. But as Merck, now, what he wanted was to, mainly was to win. Yes. <laughs> his, his, uh, his motivation in doing this was he wanted a team that, that worked and played as a team mixed together. Yeah, that's for sure. W- winning above all else uh, with a possible, he was a devout Catholic who went to mass all the time. Right. So with the possible exception of of his religion and his uh, his wife, uh, I, I think uh, winning was above all else in uh, in Shula's yeah. life. Um, I want to talk about the makeup of that '72 team for a minute because it was a pretty fascinating blend. There was a lot of um, underdog, you know, blue collar, working class oh, yeah. quality to the players, but at the same time, there were a lot of future Hall of Famers on that team: Greasy, Zonka, um, Warfield, Bonacani, just to name a few. Larry Little. Um, how would you describe the, the makeup of that makeup of that team and, and why it seemed to, to be such a cohesive unit? Yeah. Uh, now to, looking back at them and especially to, to people who love that team, it seems like every position had just a great, great player. And they did. It, as it turns out, I mean, you know, that's how you go 17 and 0. I mean, every player was just first rate. But at the time... There were just a few names on that team, as you say, Panacani, Greasy, Zonica, maybe. Um, but uh, a lot of them were unknown. A lot of them were cast offs from other teams. Uh, of course, the defense was called the no-name defense because you had Bonacani, who had been an AFL All-Star, so he was he's pretty well known when he played for the Patriots. Um, but a lot of the others, people had never heard of. You, have, you know, the, Manny Fernandez, such a great, great nose tackle, hadn't been drafted. You got Doug Swift, that starting linebacker for five years. He played for Little Amherst College and later became a doctor. You know, he a lot of guys weren't even planning to play pro football. Vern Den Herder was so good for 10 years for the Dolphins. He planned to go to veterinary school and he got drafted. He didn't think he'd get drafted. And he goes, well, I got to give it a shot, you know. And even when he was down here, it took uh, two or three years before he got into the lineup. And each year he's like, well, probably not going to make it uh, this year, but (laughs) (laughs) I'll go down. And he ended up being such a terrific player. Um, And on the offense, you know, the the offensive line, it's got to be one of the greatest offensive lines ever, but they call themselves the expendables <laughs> because most of them had been let off from other teams. You know, Norm Evans was left in the expansion draft by Houston. Larry Little had been playing for San Diego, but he was, he was nothing much out there. He wasn't doing very well. It wasn't until Shula got him to lose some weight and, and he had some incredible coaching from Monty Clark. Uh, and, you know, Bob Kuchenberg had been playing semi-pro ball for $100 a game up in right. Chicago. <laughs> Came down to Miami and he latched on. And again, I think Monty Clark was a huge factor in that, yep. that offensive line. But so many players had been let go by other teams and really were cast-offs. And uh, they all came together. Under Shula and Arn Sparger and Monty Clark, yeah, what a coaching staff. Staff. great coaching. Oh my god, they really made him into the into the perfect team. Yeah, and and Larry Little uh, came over in what had to be the greatest trade in all of sports history. Yeah. Uh, I think in exchange for a defensive back called Mac Lamb, if my memory is yeah. correct. Yeah, his high, uh, his uh, his high school teammate. Yeah, and and no disrespect yeah. meant to Matt. 
or Mac, yeah. but uh, <laughs> little uh, turned out okay. Um, yeah. uh, Marshall, I had the, the pleasure of knowing Shula pretty well and, and getting to interview him a few times late in his life. And to his dying day, even in perfection, I always got the sense that he never thought that 72 team quite got its complete due. They were the underdogs in the AFC championship game. Plenty of uh, greatest team ever lists do not anoint them number one. Uh, I'm I'm just wondering how do you yeah. uh, see all that? Well, I think I think it's all that's true. What you said, of course, the NFL I think did name the best team ever in the hundredth um, anniversary of the NFL. You know, yeah, because I mean you can't. There's no best team ever. You can't. It's hard to compare eras. There are a lot of really great teams, but you can certainly say when in the NFL you can say there was a greatest season ever. There's no question about that. Yeah. Um, greatest accomplishment as a team. But yeah, I think it's true. People point to a weak schedule. You know, it didn't seem that weak before they played it. Uh, right. You know, uh, they they had to go out to a Kansas City and Minnesota. They were both supposed to be Super Bowl contenders. The Colts and the Giants, I mean, Colts and the Jets in their division were supposed to be very good teams. A lot of people picked Baltimore to go to the Super Bowl that year. So the season really wasn't that soft, I don't think. And they did what they had to and playoffs and Super Bowl. And they dominated the Super Bowl, even though the score doesn't show it because of Garrow's big goof. (laughs) You know, the funny thing is a lot of so many of those players that I talked to and also that I read interviews of, so many of them would say, oh, I I wasn't really the best athlete, you know, but I I did the best with what I had. I mean, Bob Greasy even said that I wasn't the greatest athlete. Well, you know, he was a three sports star at Purdue and uh, Cassie Russell, the NBA star, when asked who was the greatest defensive player he ever played against, pro or college, he said Bob Greasy. Uh, that's a pretty good athlete. You know? right. Right. Uh, but, but what I'm getting at is that people still say, oh, they were kind of small and slow. You know, physically, they weren't, they didn't seem so, uh, so impressive. And they overlook what they actually did. Uh, and, you know, I think without question, of course, they're one of the very greatest teams ever. And they did no other teams done. Um, that team, everybody goes to Gary Upremian first, uh, for, yeah. with reason. Uh, but that team had a, a, a number of characters on it. Um, yeah. Ricky Morris was a character. Uh, Jake Scott was an iconoclast. Um, you know, Zonka and Jim Kick were Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. When you think back yeah. to the character aspect of that team, wh- what are some of the funny uh, stories that you discovered or, or that appear in the book? I think uh, one of the hallmarks of this team was their intelligence. And uh, I think that comes from the fact that so, a lot of them are so funny. There's, I've never seen a team with so many funny quotes. You know, Manny Fernandez told me it was he and um, Bill Stantle out in the Everglades fishing in one morning. And, and they, uh, they used to like to grab gators and just pick them up, you know, baby gators. And they said, one of them said, hey, you know, we should bring one back for Shula. <laughs> so they grabbed him and put, tied up his mouth, threw him in the truck, and they drove him back. And according to them, Zonka distracted the secretary. Well, they run behind with the gator and they put it in uh, Shula's shower that he had in his yeah. office and waited till after practice. And, uh, you know, and Shula came running, came running out of the office with a towel around him screaming. And <laughs> of course, he blamed Jim Kick. Kick always right. got blamed for everything. Oh, he, he didn't do anything. And Kick said, Kick had a great quote about that, which was, uh, Coach, it wasn't me, but, you know, the, the, the only thing I can say is that we had a vote on whether to, whether to uh, keep the gator's mouth tied closed or not. And I lost that one. So, <laughs> An yeah. absolutely true story. Yeah. Uh, Zonka and I have uh, yeah. he shared that story with me. And it's, I think Zonka says that he was out with Manny and they got the gator, but they don't quite remember who but someone did. Right. Well, after yeah. 50 years, the lapse in memory yeah. can be forgiven yes. a little bit. Uh, it, it probably goes without saying that Shula, um, in, in the last interview I ever did with him, uh, he, he said that the perfect season was the, the pinnacle of, of his career because it was just something that no one could ever beat. Uh, it might be tied, but it could never be beat. And he would always be the first. And 
that was the closest I ever uh, came to actually hearing him almost bragging, not quite because yeah, he was a very yeah. modest man, but uh, he was so proud of that perfect season. And for this book, Marshall, you were able to interview, um, I think, around a dozen or so surviving players. And I wonder right. what was the consensus you heard from them in terms of what this magical season meant to them in their lives? I think there's a, a range to that to, to some of them. It's more important to, to them than others, uh, maybe depending on what they've done, you know, else in their lives. But but they're all very proud of it. And, uh, um, you know, and the, everyone I talked to, first of all, was just, they were such a uh, friendly, open, wanting to talk about it, you know. And, uh, um of course, some, you know, some of them have gotten a little bad press. You know, I think Murphy Morris and, and maybe Zonka, some people resent the way they kind of crow about it a little bit. Yeah. But, um, and, and every single person I've interviewed, I've, I've, who's interviewed me so far, that's about the, that champagne toast. Yeah. You know, that thing. And I, <laughs> you know, I don't think it was such a big deal. <laughs> as I point, as I say to them, look, if you were a bunch, if you were part of a bunch of guys, your old team, your buddies, and you did something, you had done something that no, no one had ever done before. And no one has done ever since in 50 years. Of course, you're going to be a little proud of that. Right? right. And each year when that last team loses its first game, of course, you're going to you know, make some phone calls. Hey, we're still the only ones. And I, I think for a few years, maybe a few of them got together and had to raise the toast. And, uh, I saw Zonka on Twitter a year or two ago when Pittsburgh finally lost. He, had, he videotaped himself having a little sip of scotch. Um, but, you know, who wouldn't be a little bit proud of oh, yeah. done that? Yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, even though some guys who maybe a lot more low-key, like Doug Cruzan, I talked to and Vern Den Herder, you know, such quiet, modest guys. But, you know, when I pointed out to them, you know, I said to them what I think I said to you earlier that, you know, you guys, you can't, no one can say who the best team ever is, but you guys, you had the greatest accomplishment the team's ever had. And they, they like the, they like to put it that way. You know, yeah. They like that. Yeah, for sure. And, and on a very personal note, I can tell you that, um, Don Shula and and those golden era Dolphins um, brought my father and I closer as a father and a son. Uh, it really it was the thing that we bonded over were those teams and uh, yeah yeah you know so it's, yeah and I write about that in the book how my dad and my brother and I it was such a thing for us you know every week uh, and we we we'd watch or we'd listen to the games because that year um, all home games were only on the radio there was right. there was no TV blackout we got to go to one game the game where Greasy got hurt. Uh, game oh. five, but otherwise we'd be listening to Rick Weaver and Hank Barrow, Henry Barrow on the radio, and at halftime we'd go out and touch football together, the three of us. So yeah, it really is uh, something I think football that can and, and other you know that can really bring uh, parents and kids together. Yeah, it it, it really yeah. can. And and my dad at the time worked at the old Everglades Hotel on Biscayne Boulevard, where they used to yeah. have the the t the Dolphin Touchdown Club meetings or whatever they were called at the time, and. Um, yeah, he, I remember him once bringing home a, a Dolphin football autograph by Joe Robbie and just stuff like that from my youth that resonates so much. And, you know, anybody who's into football, not just the Dolphins, uh, into the nostalgia of football and the magic of it, uh, I, I think your book would be highly recommended. 17-0, uh, and 0, Miami 1972 in the NFL's only perfect season. Uh, Marshall John Fisher, um, thanks much for joining us and, and best of luck with the book. Thanks, Greg. I really enjoyed talking to you. Good. Likewise. Thanks again. All right. So another uh, award-winning episode tonight, uh, today, whenever you're listening to it, for breakfast, for lunch, whenever uh, you're consuming it is when it's happening. And um, we thank uh, everybody who's on the podcast. Marshall John Fisher, the the Dolphins 17-0 book author. Author. Thank him. And um, thank Chris Cody for kicking my ass in ping pong. Uh, thank everybody. But don't thank... Antonio Brown too much. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
I swear I was going there. I like I like, the way you were saying thank you. I was gonna be like, and thank you, Antonio Brown. <laughs> no, but yours was so much better. That was I great. learned my I learned my lesson. <laughs> <laughs>